from the creator economy to the end of Bretton Woods and the origins of the metaverse. This is the UAE Tech Podcast Web3 edition. Tune in for cutting edge interviews on how blockchain is reshaping cyberspace, finance and culture from here in Dubai and cities around the world. And so that idea where buyer and seller are connected again is, is really the genesis or the root of, of C-commerce. And you touched on something else just a moment ago. You talked about trust and all these factors that may be limiting in the, uh, the growth of online commerce. And it's actually C-commerce that helps mitigate some of that risk and helps create stronger bonds between buyer and seller and more comfort around purchasing because they get a chance to actually um, get all of their questions answered and they get more personalization. The business knows them better. They feel more receptive with brands that they can chat with. And so all of these attributes, when you put them all together, represent, you could call it the evolution of e-commerce uh, and the extension of e-commerce. And that's the space that we really play in. And we want to help our business customers leverage that opportunity. Uh, the amount of time spent today on social media is, is extreme. I mean, you're talking about up to four hours a day people are spending on social, be it Facebook, Instagram, uh, WhatsApp, TikTok, and that's only getting um, worse, if you will, in terms of how much time people allocate to that. And so it's a natural place for people to discover the things they want to buy, along with, you know, connecting with family, friends and, and all these other things. That's where discovery happens. And that's where they first learn about products or services that they would be interested in. And it's important for brands and businesses to know how to leverage that trend and how to get into that space in a way that is natural, in a, in a way that is uh, easy to transition to as a business, because it can be overwhelming and we want to make it easy for them to do that. For Rami Asaf, the CEO of Zabuni, there are several trends changing how we buy and sell items online. Two of them are pretty clear. The first is led by social media. Be it sneakers on TikTok, address on Instagram, or furniture items on Etsy, social media is having a massive influence on what is considered desirable, cool, and contemporary. Secondly, many consumers want to buy directly from the influencers they follow online. And this is where Zabuni comes in. The idea is called C-commerce, or collaborative commerce. According to Investopedia, it means the optimization of supply and distribution channels to capitalize on the global economy by using new technology efficiently. The key use case for Zabuni is introducing checkout channels to social media so that sellers can sell and buyers can purchase and get an item shipped as easily as possible via WhatsApp or other channels. While the UAE enjoys a growing range of effective e-commerce solutions, Zabuni is also based in markets like Jordan, Egypt and KSA, where such solutions are not always as readily accessible. 
For example, I know from my own experience that over the past decade, entrepreneurs in Jordan have really struggled to access easy vendor gateway solutions, even when international shipping integrations were indeed available. So we checked in with Rami to learn more and discover how C-commerce is performing across key meta markets. Rami, thank you so much for joining us. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and also what is Sabuni? Sure, John. First, thanks for having me here. It's a pleasure. A uh, little bit about myself. Um, I've been in Dubai as an entrepreneur and as an investor for the past uh, 12 years. I moved from the U.S. My background is all mostly in digital. Um, and I came here uh, working with a company called Zawia. And um, the company Zbuni, we founded in 2017 here in JLT in Dubai. That's the view behind me. This is our, uh, our original office spaces in Dubai. And uh, today we've expanded the business into uh, four key markets. But I may be getting ahead of myself and answering questions you, you haven't asked yet. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. Of course, everyone in the region knows Zawiya. Um, as a big name. I'm not sure what they're up to nowadays. I haven't seen them for a while, actually. But in terms of Zabuni and in terms of you, so you came over from the United States, slightly different story to the majority of the entrepreneurs we speak on the UA Tech podcast, although that's changing. I've had a lot of people from Europe coming over recently, especially in the metaverse and Web3 and things like that. But kind of going back to when you started and you were just moving from Zawiya and you're thinking about Zabuni, what were the ideas you were having and why were you interested in this space? So this opportunity was really um, prompted by uh, an experience that I had personally with my wife who wanted to start her own business. And at the time I was working in, uh, in venture capital with a firm based here in the UAE. And uh, my wife had suggested this idea of her starting her own business, selling hats online. And not just online, but using social media. So her idea was to go put her hats up on Instagram. And if people wanted to order those hats, they could do so through sending a WhatsApp or a DM and placing the order that way. And I was observing her start this business and go th going through the motions of that, when it sort of dawned on me that consumers were accepting this new format of shopping, meaning it was quite natural for them to, instead of going to an e-commerce website and doing the order themselves, interacting with the business, getting their questions answered in real time, doing the shopping through the business owner and placing their order that way. And it was the first time I had observed this convergence of messaging and commerce. And that's the sort of genesis of what we now call C-commerce. And it hadn't been coined or it wasn't an industry uh, at the time. Uh, and we we pretty much wrote the, the book on that uh, starting back then. Uh, 
and uh, we continue to do so till till today and in the future. Yeah, that's really interesting, and I want to get a definition of from you about e-commerce. I'm, I'm guessing it means consumer commerce, but there's so there's so much jargon now in this space that it can often be hard to keep up. But in terms of what you were saying about um, your wife, you know, wanting to integrate with social media, that's something that I've been noticing a lot for a number of years. I mean, particularly on Instagram, I've got friends who will you know, look at dresses or even do their food shopping based on what someone they like on Instagram has suggested. And uh, I often said to them, you know, okay, but how, how do you know about the quality? Um, you know, how do you know this is going to fit you? And what it seems like is there's, also, uh, there's often a story through social media. So we know this person, we followed her or him for a number of years. Uh, we know their story and we know how they make their products. But also, I guess there's there's challenges there in terms of trust, payment points. So, you know, how do you actually buy something when you've seen it direct on social media and it's not available on Amazon? So I guess to summarize, there's, there's two questions there. What is C-commerce and why do you think it's important? And what are the technical challenges in realizing that idea when you were building Sabuni? So C-commerce, it stands for Connected Commerce. And the reason we call it that is because the manner in which buyers and sellers today are more connected than ever. Um, everyone has a mobile phone. Everyone has access to messaging in this real-time shopping uh, format, if you will. So if I wanted to order something that needed to be delivered it was time sensitive i may not be so comfortable putting that order on a website because i want to make sure it gets delivered by a certain time and i'd feel a lot more reassured talking to someone on the other end before i place the, the order and so that idea where buyer and seller are connected again is is really the genesis or the root of of c-commerce and you touched on something else just a moment ago. You talked about trust and all these factors that may be limiting in the uh, the growth of online commerce. And it's actually C-commerce that helps mitigate some of that risk and helps create stronger bonds between buyer and seller and more comfort around purchasing because they get a chance to actually... Um, get all of their questions answered and they get more personalization. The business knows them better. They feel more receptive with brands that they can chat with. And so all of these attributes, when you put them all together, represent, you could call it the evolution of e-commerce uh, and the extension of e-commerce. And that's the space that we really play in and, we want to help our business customers leverage that opportunity. Uh, the amount of time spent today on social media is, is extreme. I mean, you're talking about up to four hours a day people are spending on social, be it Facebook, Instagram, uh, WhatsApp, TikTok. And that's only getting... Um, worse, if you will, in terms of how much time people allocate to that. And so it's a natural place for people to discover the things they want to buy 
along with, you know, connecting with family, friends, and, and all these other things, that's where discovery happens. And that's where they first learn about products or services that they would be interested in. And it's important for brands and businesses to know how to leverage that trend and how to get into that space in a way that is natural, in a, in a way that is uh, easy to transition to as a business, because it can be overwhelming and we want to make it easy for them to do that. Yeah, that's super interesting. And, uh, you know, there's not much to argue against there. Everyone knows, having you know, social media four hours a day for particularly Gen Z. Um, and many friends who are working in digital and journalism, actually, a lot of their actual jobs depend on using social media. But I wanted to ask you about use cases. So are your clients mainly businesses or established brands? Or do you work with a lot of artisans, creators, small entrepreneurs in the Middle East and elsewhere? Within the Middle East market, we support a huge spectrum of businesses and we look at them uh, in five key categories, whether that's, uh, it could be sports and fitness, uh, food and beverage, it could be education and training, retail, or even what we call e-commerce. So for us, we even have a category of, of businesses that do e-commerce already, but are looking for that added edge in uh, their ability to sell in, in sales channels. And so what one typically might expect is that these are small micro businesses, which is the case. Some of them are small and just getting started. And we take pride in being able to help them get on their, their footing and develop their business. But at the same time, we also have a lot more mature businesses on the platform such as luxury brands. And one of the uh, use cases there is we work with the Shalhoub Group. You may be familiar. Yeah, I saw that. That's a great client. And so, um, you know, if you think about how people shop today, they, they walk into retail environments, whether it's a luxury store uh, or luxury, you know, fashion store, and a shopper who does spend high discretionary amounts they want to, they expect a little bit of special treatment. And so they'll take the phone number of one of the sales associates on the floor and then go home and maintain a, a more of like a concierge type of uh, personal shopper uh, format of shopping with the sales associate. And they take photos of what's new and what just dropped and, and they hold those on the side. So the common denominator here is less about the type of business we serve, but more about the consumer behavior that we're addressing. And whenever customers get that added comfort from uh, interacting with the brand before purchasing, wherever that's a necessary component, that's where we add value. Um, so I'd like to tell you more about the businesses that use us, but it's, it's really like there's no... Um, there's no one sweet spot. It's just a big variety. And uh, we, we certainly appreciate the opportunity to work with such a wide spectrum of businesses. Yeah, and I guess it's really important in the Middle East. Um, you know, in Dubai, there's a lot of people in this space. There's a lot of people with large social media accounts. Some of the biggest entrepreneurs in the UAE and elsewhere in the Middle East have come up through social media. I guess a big 
most well-known case study is Huda Beauty, you know, and that's worth, a, that's a very big global business right now and it's known all over, the, all over the world, but that came up through social media. So I guess the ability to monetize, even at a much smaller scale, if you've got tens of thousands of followers, for example, who are all interested in what you're doing, that is a massive boon um, for any entrepreneur, any creative, um, any brand or business. So how does it work in practice? Let's say, you know, I've got my social media accounts. I have a product. Um, I could be a semi-established business. Uh, I could be an established business like Chaloub Group. What are the inputs? What are the various integrations I can use with Sabuni to set myself up? Good question. Um, so you could start with zero integrations and you can download the Sabuni app. When you download the app, it's pretty much everything you're going to need to start selling uh, social the app allows you to create your storefront, uh, add your products. You can do that one by one. You can do, build that over time. Uh, we do a, a, some screening uh, of the, who's the, the user in this case and make sure that they're a legitimate business, that they're licensed, and that the products that they're selling are um, acceptable for, for online sales. From there... Um, we sit an app on the seller's device and as they are in real time communication with their customers and the customer is messaging them, let's say on WhatsApp and they're in an engagement on WhatsApp and they want to close a sale. That's where today it's kind of awkward, right? Like you've been talking to a uh, someone on WhatsApp and you want to order something from them, okay, how do we pay for that? How do I pay for it? Traditionally, it's bank transfer or cash on delivery or something kind of uh, a little awkward because uh, you want that customer, sorry, you want the customer to pay for your goods, but you don't really have a means by which to collect it uh, seamlessly. So that's when a business could open this Booney app, create an order, assign the customer and dispatch that. It's called a checkout card and it opens up on WhatsApp. And then the customer can click that and pay in two simple steps. It allows them to pay with all major payment methods, Visa, MasterCard, Amex, and even localized payment methods that uh, maybe are preferred by certain uh, demographics, like in Saudi Arabia, for example, we, we offer meta payments and we do the same in Egypt for localized payment methods. So we bring the best uh, capabilities of modern payment solutions and then put those in the, 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 at the fingertips of a, a, a merchant when they need it most. And they can capture orders more seamlessly this way. From there, they now not just have, let's say, digitized the transaction, but they also have a record of the transaction. They know who their customer is, when they bought, what they bought, and receipts is issued for buyer and seller. As this builds up, I have more, let's say, kinetic energy at my disposal as a seller. I have more customers who I've served this way, and it becomes easier for me if I want to do a remarketing campaign, I can do it from that same app. I can build what we call a collection. And so I could 
uh, instead of using MailChimp or some email service, I also want to leverage this WhatsApp channel to do my marketing. And you can do that from the app itself. And so it starts to look like a little business hub and, and commerce uh, technology for the merchant that allow them to create more repeat business and digitize not just the transaction, but their entire view of their business that's happening on this channel. We do have some businesses, like I mentioned, that already do e-commerce. So for them, uh, Zbuni works in parallel with maybe something like a Shopify. And the product catalogs become synchronized and the sales records can become synchronized. And there are different ways of uh, automating some of these backend uh, integrations. So, you know, if I'm a, a business that takes bookings, as soon as someone has paid for the booking, it automatically sends uh, that notification into my booking engine and then marks that time as booked. And if it's not booked, it prompts the customer to, to pick the time they want the service. So we work on a variety of, of workflows and use cases uh, around that. That's really interesting, particularly within a Middle East context, um, because there's been a long delay in getting payment processing out um, to individuals, not so much in the UAE, but across many other Middle East markets. Now, I wanted to, to say Zabuni has an Arabic interface. You've clearly been working in Arabic and you mentioned Saudi Arabia. So that suggests that you've got payment uh, APIs and you know, you've, you've kept the regulators happy in other countries across the Middle East. What was that like and how have you guys achieved that? Because we know from previous calls that, you know, working in one jurisdiction in the Middle East, setting up, you know, that, that, that can often be fine. But working in multiple jurisdictions, particularly when you have payments um, and connected commerce and um, banking regulations involved, can be quite complicated. So what was your experience like with that? Well, coming from a background of no pay payments or no experience in that was uh, made it a little bit trickier, but uh, I think that also lended to our, you know, building uh, from first principles around this. And the way we see it is what UAE remains our, our biggest market and it's our home market, but um, the same problems seem to prevail across different uh, markets. Yeah, definitely. When it comes to payments in particular, what we realized is that the banks, because there's so few of them and they're quite large as it is, um, they're not very well positioned to take on the risk, you could call it, of doing KYC on the, the long tail of businesses. And banks inherently are are supposed to be safe and supposed to protect wealth and supposed to uh, not take chances per se on anybody and everybody. And that includes businesses. So an, a newbie business today that wants to accept payments has a lot of noise around them. There's a lot of payment gateways and there's a lot of APIs out there. But if you are a small business and you wanted to get started, where would you begin? You'd begin probably by going to, let's say, a payment gateway that can offer you the service. And that service is connectivity with an acquiring bank who will be your 
uh, your merchant bank. So when you accept payments, ultimately they process those payments. But that's not that's easier said than done. It's an arduous application process. There's a long KYC uh, and uh, difficult KYC to get through. In some cases, you wanna uh, you would have to have like two years of audited financials in order for them to even do a, a screening of you. And most new businesses don't have that. So if you can go through all this motion of uh, interacting with the banks and getting through that, ultimately what that spits out is called a merchant ID. And that's really the ecosystem's way of identifying you, that you are a merchant and these transactions belong to you as a beneficiary. When you have a merchant ID, it's no good on its own. It needs to be connected to some interface, whether it's a point of sale machine or maybe an, an online site. So then you got to go to your developers. And you got to say, okay, here's my merchant ID. Can you connect this to my, my website? Sure. And then I, you, of course, have to pay for that and do some development and go through more agony on that side. And all of that it can take, I don't know, three months, six months, a year for some people. It's a lot of work. And it's work that's taking away from the business owner's core competency which is selling whatever product or service they sell. And it's almost like you have to learn how to become an expert in these areas in order just to activate it. So the opportunity we saw was there's a lot of room for someone to aggregate uh, for small businesses, meaning we work with the payment gateways and with the acquiring banks. We act as a merchant of record and based on who we onboard at our discretion, they can have access to this facility. We call that a managed payments service. So you, small business owner, don't need to worry about all of this complicated headache. We'll do it for you. And we'll, in, in fact, bring all the best functionality because we work with all the gateways and all the banks. So whether it's... American Express, Apple Pay, Google Pay, Samsung Pay, all of these card types, international cards, local cards, localized payment methods, we aggregate all of that into one unified platform. When the business owner signs up with us, as soon as we activate their account, they have that at their disposal. And we manage the payment cycle and that the payments are deposited into their accounts on a timely and predictable manner. And that's sort of a core competency we've built over the last five years in the business. And merchants today who could go qualify for their own paint merchant ID, they don't want to anymore because this is such a relief that we do it for them. Uh, we're doing that now in four markets, uh, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Jordan, as well as the UAE. And um, what we localize in those markets is a, is a setup that allows us to be that intermediary. And we, of course, work very closely with our banking partners so that the way we conduct the onboarding and the parameters for the businesses that can use the service are well-defined and articulated. And we abide by certain, um, let's say, terms of business that make sure that we're protected the customer is protected, the business is protected, and the bank is protected. 
So we've proven that there is a way to do this and make it more accessible for small businesses to uh, participate in that digital economy. And uh, that's that's uh, something we're proud of building. Yeah, I think often for entrepreneurs in the UK or the US, they're not really aware of just how challenging that has been historically in the Middle East, that access to payment solutions. Um, I was an entrepreneur between Jordan and Dubai uh, in around 2013. And I had many friends who, you know, they had established incorporated businesses, they were selling good products, and they would often go through months, um, sometimes years, of negotiating with the banks to get access to, 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 to you know, banking and, and payment solutions. Often even doing it online was incredibly difficult. So even if, if that was established, getting access to a digital store and building out that infrastructure in a way that was sustainable would be quite challenging. Um, I've got one friend in Jordan who made these amazing kind of handmade trainers with like special designs on and everything like that. Um, and they were selling out extremely well on social media. You know, she basically just drop a picture and it would sell out immediately for, for quite a decent amount of money, you know, um, you know, three or four times or more what you'd normally pay for a pair of trainers. And in the end, she managed to get access to, to you know, payment systems mainly because a very large institutional semi-government investor came on board to help her out. That that was what it took. Now, that was a long time ago, um, and things have changed a lot. You know, in 2022, things are much, much better than they were. But it's still the case that for, you know, a lot of brands and companies uh, across the Middle East and, and elsewhere as well, it really helps to be able to just have access to those solutions. So as you can say, you can focus on your product, you can focus on what you're building, um, on that note, so what about, you know, the kind of businesses and companies that have been opening up on Subuni? Is it mainly UAE? Uh, and what kind of businesses and brands are you getting from your other markets like KSA, Jordan and Egypt? Well, you touched on something there, John. It's interesting. You mentioned your, your friend in Jordan that was selling the trainers that were three times the price. I mean, that's there seems to be like a, um, a misconception in the market or a myth that small businesses or new businesses sell things for really cheap. In fact, what we're seeing is the inverse. Um, smaller businesses, because they do less volume uh, in terms of number of orders, they re really rely on the few orders they get being more valuable. And they put a lot of care and attention into their products and services to, to warrant that uh, premium. So we're seeing uh, very large basket sizes across our platform. In fact, it's over $200 is the average order value. And uh, that, that covers, you know, that, that's an average that covers all the markets, including Jordan and Egypt. Well, that's a significant amount in, in very significant amount in Jordan and Egypt. Yeah, and I think that speaks to the back to the comfort level of customers when they're on this channel and they're talking to a business, and that's what inducing is inducing them to buy something. They're more willing to spend more. So we see something like a like an average order on Spoonie is actually two point three x the typical e commerce basket. Um, that again, that that shoe example, we have a lot of businesses like that. A lot of these really beautiful. Uh, homegrown businesses that are doing something very unique, um, hard to come by, certainly stuff you're not going to find on Amazon or Noon, uh, 
these are not commoditized goods. It's artisans. It's people putting their, you know, passion into their business. And it can range from, you know, there's the, the, the funny stuff or, well, it's funny in terms of, you know, as a concept, people doing pajamas for pets all the way to, um, we had someone selling uh, like airplane hangers. And so all of that, that entire index of stuff you don't find on Amazon, uh, there's a lot out there. And that's the beauty of, of this platform is that it's enabling commerce for where e-commerce typically can't serve very well. You know, if we think about what, what is the number one category on Amazon? Uh, hands down, it's electronics, specifically mobile phones. That's like their bread and butter globally. Uh, most e-commerce is uh, the sales is attributed to that, you know, airline travel. Those are examples of things that are highly branded and highly commoditized. You know, those are things that as a consumer, I'm very familiar with. I understand what an Emirates flag <laughs> in, in, uh, uh, means, and I understand the Emirates brand because I see it on Billboard. I understand what Apple is and what Google is because those are things that I'm highly familiar with as a consumer. Those are where e-commerce can do the job. We just need a way of the customer getting somewhere and they can purchase those things. But if a brand is less familiar to the customer or a product is less familiar, you'll see conversion rates uh, decaying in e-commerce. And that's where the business needs to do its part in getting its customers more familiar with what it sells. And there's no better way of getting your customer familiar than speaking to them and explaining things to them. And so uh, there's an interesting attribute there where it's like C-commerce picks up where, where e-commerce leave behind or it cannot serve. And uh, yeah, there's over 6,000 businesses on our platform and it includes pretty much uh, anything and everything that's legal. That makes sense. And I guess another side of this, right, if you're looking at the, the trainer case study or, or is addressable market, I had a close friend in Jordan who ran a very popular store called Mlabas. I might have pronounced that wrong, but basically means sweets in Arabic, M-L-A-B-B-A-S, great brand. And then um, had all sorts of kind of uh, Arabic youth culture, T-shirts, you know, funny kind of memes, um, design work, scarves, uh, trendy books, kind of lifestyle store, but it was all local. It was all kind of local jokes about Mansaf and things like this. Super popular, kind of everyone had a hoodie or a t-shirt uh, from this place. And it's still, I'm pretty sure it's still there. I haven't been to Jordan since COVID-19. So, Are you? Yeah. Sorry? Are, but, but, are you talking about uh, the, the t-shirts? They're called, uh, there's a brand out of Jordan called Joe Bedu. Is that Joe Bedu is a very similar one. Yeah. So very, I know, I know Joe Bedu is a very, very similar um, brand, very similar to Amblabas. I think they were actually contemporaries and Joe Bedu became the most famous. But what was interesting about, and Labas is that uh, the founder was, I, I think, American, um, Lebanese, American, Jordanian. And he realized, okay, we're selling T-shirts, right? We're doing okay. Um, a lot of the expats love us too. So that was an interesting one. 
But he realized that his addressable market, just by virtue of being in Jordan, was X. And it would cost him a massive investment to move, you know, to set up another store in the UAE or Dubai. So what he did, and this was a long time ago now, was he set up a digital store and really spent years pushing these sales internationally in Arabic and English. You know, this so this would be around, this would be around 2013, 2014. Um, and he really pushed selling this stuff out to expatriates in the United States. But what was interesting about that case study was it was local kind of hip designs that were very targeted and the kind of local youth community. But he also realized if I digitalize, if I find markets overseas that I can sell to and I can figure out, you know, the supply, you know, that I can post it with RMX and get it there and I can charge for checkout, then I have a much more sustainable business. So I guess a lot of these guys working in Egypt and Jordan, if they're really producing good stuff, they can use Sabuni to access clients that they'd never have been able to access in the past. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And a few things you mentioned there. One is, I mean, anyone starting a business today is most likely going to be thinking uh, digital. I mean, it's got to be, if it's yeah. not purely digital, it's got to be like a core part of their business. And again, uh, you, you because it's digital, why would you limit it to just your local immediate, you know, domestic market? You can now be international. And I think, you know, some of the clever entrepreneurs out there are finding ways to reach that market, uh, whether it be through ad spend or without ad spend. But uh, businesses are more international than ever before. Uh, logistics is uh, catering to that. And think about that for 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 a minute if you were working with a payment gateway that didn't accept us cards which is the case for several yeah, of the gateways. that was that was a several massive problem yeah right so yeah. that's we can help that business in several ways now one we help them have an instant digital um, uh, interface to sell in that market and if you're using our our managed payment service you could be selling it globally. And that's a, a, a big part of our business today and one of the main uh, draws of it. Yeah, it, it's great. I mean, I um, I had a publishing company in the Middle East and we ended up distributing books and we had them in, you know, Kino all over Jordan. We also had a digital online uh, platform, but it was through all the ebook providers or, or the gateways at that, at that time were through kind of um, Apple, or we're through, um, you know, I think there was one other, we're through these kind of online bookstores. And when we looked at, you know, the the what we were, the price we were selling for, which would be like three, four dollars, and the commission amount we get back, it was often so bad that it was almost no point having a digital interface at that time. So what are you guys doing to help kind of up and coming entrepreneurs, up and coming businesses that maybe need, you know, two to three months to get set up? And then can afford to pay, you know, more commission rates, or can afford to, and they'll have a, a higher sales volume. When it comes to onboarding, do you look at potential, or do you just look at, you know, sales volume and that kind of thing? I'm thinking for companies that you know who've just kind of got started, they've got some clients, but they're looking to grow very fast. So for us, I mean, we pride ourselves in a our business model lends itself towards one if no friction. So we, we've elected not to have a setup fee or a fixed monthly fee. And we do that because we feel that there's enough barriers today for businesses 
and we want to give them a chance to get out there and sell. And we partner with our, our business users so that they're only going to be paying for orders successfully processed. Um, there are no there are fees otherwise. So that lends itself to, hey, I'm a small business. This doesn't intimidate me. Let me give it a try. I have nothing to lose. And it aligns us with the business so that we're, we stand to benefit very little if the business isn't actually selling anything. It forces us to think and empathize with them. What would help them sell more? And how can we help them sell, period? So uh, we don't discriminate at that level. And it's a self-serve platform for the most part. So a small business can come set up, uh, create their account, and be up and running in one, in a day. Uh, there's no, no challenge there. Uh, on the other side of it, um, you know, we follow a methodology, uh, which is a bit proprietary, I suppose. It's called CAST, C-A-S-T. And there, that's the four USPs that we build around. One is capture orders. Two is accept payments. Three is sell more. And four is track everything. And those are the principles by which a business regardless of where it is in its journey, has something to benefit from. So somebody just needs the ability to send a payment link and capture an order. Someone else is really thinking about how they can uh, increase their capability of accepting payments, whether it's international, other uh, card types. Uh, so that's no longer a constraint to them selling. And then selling more this is an area of focus uh, at the moment for us, and we have some exciting uh, breakthroughs happening there. So can I create a storefront that makes it easy for my customers to, to shop? Is it simple to manage? Something we do specifically there, we, we give each merchant something called a C-shop, uh, you know, from the, the same C-commerce uh, vein. And a C-shop is a place where you can show off your collections, you can host your product catalog, you can have more social connectivity there. So it actually can connect to your TikTok page or your Instagram, et cetera. But it also allows the customer not just to add items to their cart and check out, but chat to shop, which is a, uh, a call to action that tells the customer, hey, if you're just looking at this product and you want to know more, this business is available to chat with right now. And you can now connect them in real time to help ease that conversion and make it more likely that they will buy something. And so uh, beyond that, we're working on something called collections. Actually, that, that's gone live a few months ago, which has been very well received. And collections is, I, I referred to it earlier, as you know, my, your ability to remarket. So businesses today aren't just thinking about how do I get my next customer? They're also thinking about how do I maximize my database of customers and make it more likely for them to purchase again. And a lot of the marketing tools you'll see out there today are very complicated for the average small business owner, building segments and campaigns and creating lists and monitoring and doing all of that. So we make it so that you can build a collection and I could build a collection that's just for you, John, and share it with you on WhatsApp and you'll get a pre-built um, a catalog of items that I curated just for you, or I could send that to a group or send that to uh, uh, many people over WhatsApp 
And so those are the areas where we want to help a business sell more, especially businesses that have been around for a couple of years. And they have hit this sort of plateau. And okay, if I spend this much, this is how many new sales I can get. And they've kind of gotten to this routine. Well, how about we can help you break out of that and open a new sales channel and reach out to your customers. You know, when you're communicating with your customer over WhatsApp versus email, when you send a marketing email to your customer base, there's probably an open rate of around 10%, 15% if you're very good at it, but that's really the ceiling. You know, 85% of the customers aren't even opening your the emails you're sending them. When you send a WhatsApp or a collection on, on WhatsApp, there's a 90% chance it gets opened. So off, off from the gates, you're better off using this channel. Your customers are more likely to see what you want to communicate to them, what products you have, what sales you have, what's new in stock. And so this is a very powerful medium for doing commerce on, and it's, it's new. And we're helping businesses learn about that. And we make, we have to, there's an, there's a responsibility on us to make the product so easy to use so that everyone can participate in that. And, uh, you know, that's not easy to do. We put a lot of time and thought into those products and, uh, and that's what we're delivering. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that's funny is when you come over from the United States, um, as far as I know, not as many people in the U.S. use WhatsApp. But, of course, in the UAE and across the Middle East, everyone's on WhatsApp, you know, for everything. Um, I, I even have um, colleagues who work at large tourism companies in the UAE. And a lot of the tourism packages they sell to people overseas are via WhatsApp which, um, you know, in the, even in the UK, that's kind of unusual, that reliance on WhatsApp. So I think the fact you've integrated that, uh, as with Arabic, is, is a very good kind of cultural localization um, device for, for, you know, entrepreneurs or customers in the Middle East. Um, but we're getting, oh, the other thing is I would love to know what the conversion rates on sales and how much business is being transacted via WhatsApp in the Middle East. I've never seen stats about that, but I, I suspect it's much more than many people realize. Um, but anyway, we're getting to the end of our time today uh, here, Rami. So before we finish, I wanted to ask you what is uh, on the horizon for the year ahead for Zabuni? What are the things you're looking at in terms of opportunities and challenges in 2023? The opportunities we see are, are endless. So there's no shortage there, but where we want to focus our attention is uh, continuing to grow in these uh, the new markets that we've entered, i.e. Saudi and, and Egypt and Jordan. And we want to serve the small business community of those markets and make sure that our value proposition is uh, brought to life there. Uh, and we, we bring those to life through hiring, building local offices, sales teams, and uh, local events. We're also looking at doing something very interesting, John, which is uh, we'll be releasing some new products, some entirely new products. And one in particular is geared more for a global audience. We believe that the technology that we've built here is very powerful. And in fact, we think we can be a net exporter of this technology, technology that was built here in the UAE 
And we're starting to serve a more global audience. So clients in the UK, in the US, Singapore, and, and other markets um, who are stuck in, in this e-commerce uh, plateau, if you will. And we're offering them C-commerce solutions that are custom integrated within their e-commerce sites. And we'll be revealing that and more of what that looks like over the next few months. But the story here is, is that we're not just serving our local markets anymore. Uh, we see that we have technology that is in demand from a global market, and we have ways of, of taking it to them and serving it from here, which is very exciting. That sounds great. Well, all the best. And Rami Asaf, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, John. I appreciate it. Sponsor information. The UAE Tech Podcast is distributed by Albuaba Business free of charge. To sponsor a single episode or a series of themed episodes, please contact our editorial team or download a sponsorship press pack. Sponsors receive an article on Albuaba Business, syndication distribution on Albuaba Syndicate, email direct marketing across the region, and brand inclusion across all podcast marketing design, audio, and video formats. Albuaba is not a PR company, and we do retain editorial discretion and quality control as an independent publisher. Companies looking to support a dialogue on technological transformation in the UAE are encouraged to contact our team.